Hi, David. Some investors are worrying about the outlook for global growth, yet equities are posting all-time highs. What's going on? Hi, Alex. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the first half of the year was a pretty strong one for the global economy. Um, you know, sort of annualised growth running at around about six percent or so in the first half. But you're 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 right. You know, the economic data more recently um, has disappointed. Uh, economic data surprises globally have turned. Uh, negative and growth does appear to have decelerated in the third quarter. But you know, as, as you highlighted, um, even as investors have begun to you know, fret about the outlook for global growth, you know, equities, most notably the S and P five hundred, continue to hit all time highs. I, I don't think this reflects necessarily, you know, equity market growth optimism. I think there's an element whereby. Bad economic news is playing into the lower for longer interest rate theme. And as such, that benefits long duration growth stocks. And and we've seen that in the recent outperformance of US tech. Um, Low low volatility has been characterizing credit markets for for some time. Uh, Credit spreads have been in a pretty narrow uh, range, despite a pretty ample supply of new bonds. Um, But again, I think to some extent, this speaks to the you know, lower for longer search for yield, as well as what is still a very low uh, default risk, which I don't think is really threatened by um, at least a, a moderate slowdown in, in growth. So, you know, underpinning, I think, risk markets is being sort of low, stable core government bond yields. Uh, the market still believes that higher inflation is transitory. Um, and that essentially economic data uh, disappointments uh, delay the removal of you know the extraordinary central bank accommodation that we currently have in place. Um, at, at Jackson Hole, Fed Chair Powell said it was likely the Fed would start to taper back its 120 billion per month bond buying uh, this year, but he also actually distanced tapering from the timing of interest rate hikes, um, and and. You know, the market interpreted that as a dovish signal that the Fed would keep rates near zero through through next year. Now, you know, as as we've discussed before, you know, we do think inflation will be higher and stickier for longer than, you know, many market participants and central banks anticipate. We also do think that you know recent weaker economic data, you know, mostly reflects the impact of the spread of the Delta variant, um, COVID restrictions. Um, if, if we look at the much weaker than expected U.S. payrolls in August, and it was much lower than uh, I think any of the uh, market economists were were, were forecasting. Um, nonetheless, it, you know, the, the real sort of source of the disappointment there or, or the undershoot was that there were zero job gains in leisure and hospitality. Um, and that compared to the prior three month average of almost 400,000 uh, jobs uh, a month. And clearly it was impacted by um, you know, consumers being more cautious in light of the spread of Delta across uh, the US. And, and similarly, I mean, China's recovery has slowed, you know, again, in part due to the reimposition of some uh, COVID-related restrictions, but also, as we've discussed before, a sort of tightening of regulatory and uh, credit stance in, in China. But I think it's a, you know, it's a mini cycle. I think we're starting to see signs that policy will ease. So again, I think China growth will um, stabilise and actually come back uh, somewhat stronger going into uh, next year. So all, all in all, I think it's global growth delayed rather than lost. 
And even if we are past peak growth, we're very far from the end of the cycle um, and, and global growth will remain well above trend into 2022. So, you know, with inflation and to a lesser extent growth underpriced, I think, in, in markets and major central banks getting ready to scale back um, liquidity, I think it's actually quite a tricky market outlook for the next couple of months. Um, I, you know, I still have a preference for you know, sort of shorter duration credit and, and carry assets such as loan structured credit. You know, I, th I think default risk is um, uh, very low. Um, and I think, you know, the sort of risk reward profile is quite attractive if markets do get sort of hot under the collar as a result of more volatility um, and, and the prospect of higher rates. What were your takeaways from this week's ECB meeting? Well, the, the announcement that the ECB would moderately reduce bond purchases under the uh, PEP or Pandemic Emergency Purchase Programme uh, was, was very much in line with our own and broader market expectations. And therefore, the market reaction has been you know, relatively uh, muted. Um, you know, ECB President Lagarde's tone in the press conference was was, was actually pretty dovish, and, and that did sort of help generate a bit of a bid for bonds, especially for um, Italian BTPs. Um, so, you know, what, what's a moderate reduction in bond buying under the PEP mean? Um, well, they've been running at around about 75 billion euros a month. That probably goes down to about 65 billion um, uh, euros. Um, I mean, Lacard said that the reduction in asset purchases was not a taper, but a quote, recalibration, you know, because it doesn't signal the end of, you know, ECB bond purchases under other programs. But I think if we step back, I mean, the bigger picture is that central banks, including the ECB, are moving towards reducing the extraordinary scale of liquidity they've injected into uh, markets. Uh, on, on our estimates and, and projections, you know, we think major central bank asset purchases will go from more than $300 billion per month this year to around $100 billion by the middle of next year. So it's a pretty meaningful, you know, move down in, in, in the sort of flow of central bank uh, liquidity. And I think if global growth does stay strong, um, uh, but inflation pressures ease, then, then I think markets can learn to live with, you know, less central bank liquidity, even if some volatility along the way. But, you know, I, th I think the danger or the risk is that central banks reduce liquidity, paving the way for rate hikes in response to higher inflation, while, while growth continues to moderate. And I, and I think that's going to be a, a pretty tricky environment for uh, risk markets, particularly for, 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 for equities. Um, yeah, just returning briefly back to uh, the ECB, I mean, you know, the kind of question that we all left after the ECB uh, uh, meeting is, you know, what comes after the PEP? And Lagarde's answer to that is, we'll see you in December. And, and I think to some extent, the answer that the ECB gives us in December may be influenced by the outcome of the uh, German, German general election later this month. You mentioned the general election in Germany. What should investors look out for? Yeah, I mean, look, German politics generally is pretty consensual, stable, you know, quite quite boring. Um, but, yeah, this general election is it's, it's getting interesting. Um, it is heating up. Uh, the polls close on the 26th of um, September. And, and the current opinion polls show a pretty tight race, but also an increasing chance that Angela Merkel's centre-right CDU could be out of government for the first time in 16 years. 
Um, there's various possible outcomes, most of them involving a sort of three-way um, coalition. One is a three-way coalition of the CDU, uh, the Liberal FDP and uh, the Greens. And uh, this has been described as the uh, Jamaica coalition, as the colours of the political parties match those of Jamaica's uh, national flag. And you know, this would be a pretty much a status quo um, outcome, I think, from a market perspective, with the more radical you know, fiscal and climate change policies of the Greens uh, very much contained by their centre-right and liberal coalition parties. But um, the, the Social Democratic STP party, led by the current finance minister, Olaf Scholz, it's, it's actually now ahead in the polls. Um, and a traffic light coalition of red, yellow and green, so the STP, uh, the Liberal FDP and, and, and the Green Party is now actually looking the most likely outcome. And, and, and I think that would imply a, a, a meaningful kind of shift uh, or, or easing in what's been Germany's you know, very orthodox, conservative budgetary stance. I think it would mean a Berlin that would be much more receptive to those calling for um, reforms to sort of European-wide fiscal framework to make it more um, growth friendly. I think it would certainly be more supportive of greater European integration. Um, uh, Schultz has been, you know, quite a strong proponent of greater, uh, you know, progress in terms of uh, a banking union. And so in that sense, you know, I think it is an outcome that, you know, would be something the ECB would, would want to take into account uh, when thinking about, you know, QE and monetary policy more generally uh, framework uh, post uh, PEP, which ends in, in March of next year. Um, and, and I think a traffic light coalition led by the SPD, you know, would imply somewhat higher uh, bond yields in Europe, uh, probably a stronger euro and, and higher equities, largely on the gain, largely on expectations, I think, for stronger growth. Um, there is a much less likely but can't be wholly discounted coalition that would be much more left leaning. It would include the uh, radical left party, the Linke. Um, and, and I actually think that would be a shock to markets and, and, and likely quite negatively received by, by, by markets. Um, whatever the outcome, it is going to mark the end of the Angela Merkel era, who will stand down as German Chancellor after being in power since 2005. And, you know, she, she was dubbed the Queen of Europe. Um, you know, during the uh, sort of Eurozone um, debt crisis, she's been crucial in determining Europe's response, not only to uh, financial crisis, but also to you know, refugee crisis, to, to, to Brexit. So, you know, it is, you know, it is, it is a, um, you know, important sort of change in leadership that we're facing in uh, Germany and for, for, for Europe more, more generally. And I think it's certainly something that investors should be watching. And stepping back from the market, David, you recently presented on the macroeconomic implications of climate change. Can you give us the main conclusions? It's something obviously we've been you know, discussing um, a, a number of times, but it was uh, recently a topic at um, one of our recent investment um, committees. And you know, it's, it's clear that on current trends and policies, global warming will exceed two degrees of pre-industrial average which will, does increase the risk of tipping points uh, with actually potentially catastrophic environmental, social and economic outcomes, at least according to the latest report from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on um, Climate Change. 
the you know the, the the macroeconomic impact of climate change is still actually poorly understood in part because of the uncertainties around the potential size type timing you know location of climate change um, impact but virtually all estimates uh, suggests that the impact of climate change uh, on, on the economy will be negative, uh, that the impact will be large, and, and actually those negative impacts will increase um, over, over time. Certainly, you know, as we get more extreme weather events, greater environmental disruption, that does imply you know, greater macroeconomic um, volatility, uncertainty. Uh, that actually typically reduces um, investment and increases savings. So that actually would imply a lower long-run real interest rates. On, on the other hand, if we're really to address climate change, then there does have to be a huge increase in uh, green investment in order to reduce greenhouse and particularly carbon uh, emissions, as well as to uh, mitigate the climate change that's already underway. I mean, sea levels are going to rise, you know, irrespective of what we do, given the uh, level of warming, which is kind of in the pipeline. Um, I also do think governments will become more interventionist in, in, in the economy as climate change becomes more urgent and, and threatening. And, and, you know, looking at the analysis, I mean, it's very clear, you know, keeping global warming even to two degrees um, will require pretty dramatic reduction in greenhouse gas and, and carbon emissions, you know, sooner rather than later. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not even to me, at least, that businesses, you know, investors, citizens fully appreciate uh, the, the hard choices that they face. You know, capital markets certainly have a key role to play in funding the transition to net zero carbon um, economy. There's, there's clearly going to be losers, but also winners from uh, the, that transition. Um, I do think that we are going to have to see a much higher price of carbon. I don't think that's yet reflected in uh, not only the price of goods and services, but also uh, across a wide range of um, asset value. So, you know, the next decade really is going to be a key one in terms of the political and public will to take action to limit global warming below two degrees. You know, the extreme weather events, you know, and we've seen that during the course of, of, of this year are going to become more common. Um, I, th I think the transition to a low carbon economy is going to um, accelerate. So, you know, global warming and efforts to mitigate climate change will be a key, you know, may maybe the key global macro and investment theme over the next decade. And it's certainly something which, you know, at, at uh, uh, Blue Bay, we're working very hard to develop our thinking on and to uh, develop the, you know, strategies and meet the, uh, the, the, the needs of investors as they address uh, the challenge of uh, uh, climate change. Thanks for your time today, David. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue 
Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.